Welcome to Blogs on Tape. Today's post is On Romantic Fantasy and OSR D&D, written by Joseph Manola and originally published on his blog Against the Wicked City at udan-adan.blogspot.com. On Romantic Fantasy and OSR D&D. When most people think of the older editions of D&D, romantic fantasy is not the first genre that comes to mind. OSR D&D tends to get used to run games which are either about grim, violent, sword and sorcery fantasy horror, or borderline absurdist kitchen sink science fantasy weirdness, sometimes both at once. But I think it's a good fit, and I'm going to explain a bit about why. Here is the default plotline of most heroic fantasy narratives. One day, the forces of darkness found a big stick. They used the stick to beat everyone up. It was terrible. So, the forces of light had to go on an epic quest to find an even bigger stick, which they used to beat the forces of darkness back down again. Then... Everyone lived happily ever after, except the forces of darkness who had been beaten to death. The end. Might makes right. The good guys don't win because they're good, they win because they're able to attain a greater capacity for acts of spectacular mass violence than their enemies. The world remains shackled to a treadmill of violence. Viewed with even the slightest cynicism, the whole narrative starts to look deeply suspect, the kind of story that vicious empires always tell about their origins. Of course we're the good guys. We won, didn't we? This is probably one reason why world-weary amorality is so common in OSR fantasy games. Strip away the genre conventions, and it's easy to see the forces of light and the forces of darkness as little more than two interchangeable warbands, flailing away at one another with whatever physical and rhetorical weaponry happens to come to hand. Romantic fantasy narratives, by contrast, are usually built around defeating evil by means other than overwhelming lethal force. Consider a story like Ghibli's Spirited Away. Chihiro is thrown into a supernatural world dominated by cruelty and injustice, but she doesn't defeat it by hoarding magical power-ups until she's strong enough to punch Yababa in the face. She wins because she's brave and clever and empathic enough to make friends and build alliances, and at the end of the day, her courage and emotional intelligence prove to be more than a match for Yababa's evil sorcery. By the end, when she leaves Yababa's realm, everyone is cheering for her even the frog and slug people who've been making her life a misery since she arrived. She has changed her world for the better. She didn't even have to beat anyone to death along the way. Now, you don't have to like those kinds of stories. You might even think they're unrealistic. It's certainly true that, in reality, love and courage don't always win out, but then, in the real world, overwhelming violence doesn't usually do much real good either, does it? But, if that is a style of storytelling you're interested in, why would you use OSR D&D to run it? 1. The Reaction System If you're using the old BX Reaction Roll system, 
there is only a 1 in 36 chance that any given monster encounter goes straight to violence. Anything else gives you some room to maneuver, to talk, bluff, make a bargain, offer a bribe, whatever. If you want to fight, you can always have one, but you almost never actually have to fight. And hell, even when they do attack, you can always just run away. This is very different from later editions of D&D, which assumed that monsters would always attack on sight and usually fight to the death. If you use the reaction system, then instead of the dungeon becoming a series of tactical combat challenges, it becomes a network of social challenges. What does each group want? What does it need? What can you offer them and what can they offer you? With a bit of quick thinking and a lot of heart, you can talk your way through a dungeon much more effectively than you could ever fight your way through it. 2. The Morale System Even if a fight breaks out, the BX morale system ensures that only crazy fanatics and mindless undead are actually likely to fight to the last man. Everyone else is much more likely to try and run or surrender once you start killing their friends right in front of them. As a result, violence tends to be limited. Bullets fly, bodies drop, and the balance of power changes. And then, you go back to negotiation again. You can kill them all if that's what you really want to do, but if you don't want that, if you'd actually quite like to find a better solution, then the morale rules give you a way to end fights while there's still someone left to make peace with. 3. The Combat System As the saying goes, if you've got a big enough hammer, then everything starts to look like a nail. If you've spent hours building your character from half a dozen source books, and you have a giant heap of hit points, and a list of combat abilities as long as your arm, as can easily happen in certain other editions of D&D, then why wouldn't you want to solve your problems with violence? By allowing players to create characters who fight like action heroes, later editions also encourage them to think like action heroes. And action heroes solve all their problems by killing people. Usually lots of people. OSR D&D isn't like that. At first level, you probably have about four hit points. Even at third or fourth level, you can still be killed outright by a couple of lucky hits. Getting into anything resembling a fair fight is a terrible idea. For the amoral sword and sorcery style of OSR game, that acts as an incentive to seek out unfair fights. Poison them, ambush them, stab them in the back, that's great but it can also work to incentivize less violent solutions. Like Chihiro, PCs don't have the option of simply brute-forcing their way through situations. They need to find other, better ways to succeed. 4. The Retainer System I love hirelings and retainers. Again, if you're playing grubby, amoral OSR murder hobos, and you can, there's nothing wrong with that, I've done it myself, then your hirelings and retainers are luckless saps who you bring along to do your dying for you. But they can do other things as well. Later editions of D&D, with their higher-powered protagonists, encourage PCs to rely on no one but each other. The model is the super... The model is the super team, or the spec ops squad. 
a small group of badasses who are so much tougher than ordinary people that anyone else would just get in the way. OSR D&D, with its squishier PCs, isn't like that. Every other person you have with you, even ordinary zero-level people, can make a real difference in your survivability. You can't just wander off on your own. You'll die out there. You need other people. OSR PCs build communities. Each PC has their own hirelings and retainers. A party of six PCs could easily have another 12 or 15 people tagging along with them. This ensures that each PC is enmeshed in a whole network of relationships with other people, people who they rely upon and who rely upon them in life or death situations. Rather than just an atomized individual caring about nothing except his plus three sword and his bag of loot, the PC has become a leader, a friend, a companion in arms. Because if they don't, hireling morale will plummet, and they'll desert you when you need them most. The cumulative impact of these four systems is to create situations which heavily favor relationship building and nonviolent forms of conflict resolution. Of course, there will still be fights. Of course, the PCs will occasionally just say fuck it and shoot a bunch of bad guys in the head. Of course, there are going to be some people who just need killing. But mass violence isn't the default solution, and usually isn't the best solution. The best solution is talking, treating your potential enemies like people, negotiating, finding common ground. With a bit of work, you can turn them into allies instead of enemies leaving the encounter stronger than when you came in. And if that doesn't work and they won't really listen, then you can always circle back later, wait until they're sleeping, and murder them in their beds. Romantics can be pragmatists, too. That was On Romantic Fantasy in OSR D&D, read by Nick L.S. Whalen. Blogs on Tape is a project that works with authors to create audio recordings of the best works in the OSR, hopefully making them more accessible to everyone. If you know of a post that's well-suited to being read out loud and you'd like to hear it on this podcast, please point me towards it. I can be reached at ls at paperspencils.com. Thank you for listening.